0: Democrats try to cram in their last-minute attacks on Bernie. The media finally deem it worthwhile to ask some basic questions of the presumptive Democratic nominee. And coronavirus tanks the stock market. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. The Ben Shapiro Show is sponsored by ExpressVPN. Your data is your business protected at expressvpn.com slash Ben. That's expressvpn.com slash Ben. Okay, so tonight is the final real chance for the Democrats to stop Bernie Sanders. What I mean by that is that Bernie Sanders is obviously on the upswing in every national poll he is now leading. He is leading in virtually all of the state polls, with very few exceptions. In South Carolina, he is trailing. He is trailing Joe Biden by just a few points. But Bernie Sanders has not been exposed to any real scrutiny, a point I've been making repeatedly for literally months on this show, maybe years on this show. Bernie Sanders is a full-fledged communist. Bernie Sanders has not yet met a socialist dictator he did not love or could not express love for. Bernie Sanders has been a lifelong Marxist. I mean, this is without a doubt. Go back all the way to his earliest days in Vermont when he was living as a loser in basically a rundown apartment while his while his not-wife had his child and was on welfare and he was making videos about Eugene Debs. I'm not kidding. This was actually his youth. Okay, when I say his youth, I mean all the way until he was 39. Bernie Sanders was a communist who never held a real nine-to-five job. Okay, and then he was elected mayor of Burlington, Vermont, by 10 votes. And this starts his political career. Bernie Sanders has been this guy the whole time. And only now are the media seeing fit to say, hey, maybe we should ask some questions about this guy. Like, why is he running for president and why are people taking him seriously? Well, tonight, there is a big Democratic debate and expect for Michael Bloomberg. And presumably, if Joe Biden has any brains at all, Joe Biden and if Elizabeth Warren has any brains at all, Elizabeth Warren, to attack Bernie. Because here's the reality. Bernie is not only the frontrunner, he is the prohibitive frontrunner at this point. Michael Bloomberg, for one, is planning a full-on onslaught on Bernie Sanders. He's the only one who brought any game to Bernie Sanders the entire race in the last debate when he pointed out that Bernie, a lifelong communist who's been a loser, who's never earned a dollar other than writing a book in the last couple of years, and when he did earn a dollar, it was off of taxpayer dollars that that loser has a lake house. So it's easy to be a socialist with a lake house, right? He'd never been asked that question directly to his face. Bernie Sanders. Michael Bloomberg asked that. Well, Michael Bloomberg is going to really ramp it up tonight, according to Politico. Politico reports Mike Bloomberg and a handful of staffers spent Monday at the so-called happiest place on earth preparing for the bruising task ahead the next day. Hunkered down at the Four Seasons Hotel in Florida's Disney World, the former New York mayor prepared for a mission to salvage his half billion dollar investment in the presidential race with a debate performance designed to quiet the critics and stall frontrunner Bernie Sanders's momentum. After a disastrous first outing, his net favorable rating dropped 20 points in the aftermath, according to Morning Consult. Bloomberg's debate goals in the Charleston, South Carolina debate are twofold. One, persuade viewers that Sanders is too divisive to defeat President Trump in November. And two, sidestep landmines surrounding complaints from women at his private media company and his race-based policing practices. As mayor, Dan Kananen is a top strategist overseeing Bloomberg state operations. He said in a conference called the debate tomorrow night and the campaign in general needs to be about one candidate, and that's Bernie Sanders. We've been saying for some time that the nature of this contest means someone with even a small plurality of delegates can come away with an outsized and disproportionate delegate lead. And this, of course, is exactly correct. They also point out, and this is also true, that Bloomberg was much better in the second half of the debate than he was in the first half. That's sort of getting obscured because his first 45 minutes was so awful and so brutal. But after that, he really started taking it to Sanders, and Sanders had no good answers. A top aide says, We've trained our eyes on him, something the rest of the field has failed to do eight debates prior and a year into the campaign. Bloomberg released an ad on, on Monday A digital ad slamming Sanders for his history on gun control and drawing a contrast to the ex-mayor's lengthy record of fighting the NRA. Ironically, one of the reasons that Bernie Sanders originally was elected to Congress is because the NRA endorsed him over his opponent. I mean, that's an actual true story. The 90-second video and an accompanying tweet from Bloomberg state Sanders was elected to the House in 1990 with support from the NRA and highlighted his opposition to background checks bill in the 1990s. The other Democrats are apparently also considering the possibility that they may finally have to go after Bernie Sanders, which, again, this feels a little bit too, little too late. It feels a lot like in 2016 when the Republicans finally decided that Donald Trump was legitimate. He was an actual nominee and they started training their fire. And Marco Rubio started going out and making fun of Donald Trump and his genital size and all this sort of stuff. And it was like, this is this is too little, too late. It feels like that with the Democrats. Maybe it's not too little, too late. But if Bloomberg is going to air a campaign, meaning he's just going to saturate the airwaves with anti-Bernie ads, it could theoretically have a serious impact. Apparently, they're going to unleash hundreds of millions of dollars in ads directed against Sanders. The campaign, according to CNBC.com, plans a multi-pronged attack, including the publication of Oppo research on Sanders. It will also push out digital attack ads focused on Sanders's record. The attacks will also attempt to highlight negative aspects of his record on race relations, both as congressman and senator. People within the Bloomberg campaign are also discussing whether to have surrogates and supporters write op-eds and show up on TV to speak out against Sanders. Okay, well, I mean, again, this should have been the plan the whole time. One of the things that the Bloomberg campaign is leaking out is internal polling that shows that Bernie would absolutely destroy the party down ballot. According to Politico, Chris Cadeligo and Laura Baron-Lopez reporting, Bernie Sanders's nomination could drag down vulnerable House Democrats. Trying to hold on to their competitive districts, according to a new poll conducted for Bloomberg's campaign, the poll of voters in more than 40 battleground house districts currently held by Democrats, conducted by Global Strategy Group for the Bloomberg campaign and obtained by Politico from two sources, found that Sanders is less popular than Trump and loses significant support when hit for holding socialist positions. Sanders is a self-described democratic socialist, of course. The poll found Sanders essentially running even with Trump in a head-to-head matchup across the districts, trailing the incumbent by just one point. But Trump opens up a six-point advantage after a list of negative messages about Sanders' ideology and alleged ineffectiveness in the Senate is presented to poll respondents. Sanders' potential impact extends beyond the presidential race. A plurality of voters, 39%, say they will be less likely to vote for a Democrat for Congress if Sanders is the Democratic nominee, which is double the 21% who say they would be more likely to vote for a Democrat for Congress, 34% say it would not impact their vote at all. The poll found that 47% of voters in competitive Democratic-held districts felt the increased role of socialist ideas in the Democratic Party was a bad thing. 19% believed it was a good thing. 24% said it made no difference. This is not a giant shock. The fact is that socialism is bad branding. Most Americans are still not into it. Most Americans are still not into it, which may be one of the reasons why Joe Biden still holds a very, very narrow lead in the latest poll from South Carolina. NBC News has put out that poll and shows Biden with the support of 27 percent of likely Democratic primary voters in South Carolina. Bernie Sanders has 23 percent. The poll's margin of error is plus or minus six percent. So basically, they are running dead even. So that means that everybody has to train their fire on Sanders tonight or he's going to run away with this race, because if he wins South Carolina, this sucker is over. It is over. So that that is the big question for tonight. Now, the biggest problem is that Bloomberg isn't even on the ballot in South Carolina, which means that really it's Joe Biden on the ballot versus Bernie Sanders. And the Biden campaign is going after Bernie a little bit too late, too little, too late again. And again, Joe Biden is not your best candidate for going after Bernie, mainly because Joe Biden is not a sentient creature at this point. Joe Biden is not even aware of which office he is running for at this point. I'll show you in just one second first. Let's talk about how you save time and money for your business this year. I'm talking about, do you really want to schlep all those packages down to the post office? Is that like a thing that you have on your agenda? Or... Would you be more interested, perhaps, in being able to do all of this from your home or from your office and save money while doing it? Well, this is where Stamps.com comes in. Stamps.com is completely online, which saves you time. No more inconvenient trips to the post office. Postage rates have gone up again, but with Stamps.com, you save 5 cents off every first class stamp and up to 40% off shipping rates. That kind of savings really does add up, especially for small businesses. Simply use your computer to print official U.S. postage 24-7 for any letter, any package, any class of mail, anywhere you want to send it. Once your mail is ready, just hand it to your mail carrier or... drop it in a mailbox. It is indeed that simple. Stamps.com not only saves you time, it'll save you money as well. With Stamps.com, you get discounted postage rates that you can't even get at the post office. I mean, it will save you tons of money and tons of time. Stamps.com is a no-brainer. It saves you time. It saves you money. It's no wonder over 700,000 small businesses, including Daily Wire, already use Stamps.com. Why would you waste time or money? Like, you just don't have the time or money to waste. Right now, my listeners get a special offer that includes a four-week trial, plus free postage and a digital scale without any long-term commitment. Just head on over to Stamps.com. Click on the microphone at the top of the homepage. Type in Shapiro. That is Stamps.com. Enter Shapiro again, Stamps.com. Enter Shapiro. Okay, so Joe Biden is, in fact, going after Bernie. The way he's going after Bernie is saying that Bernie was not sufficiently loyal to Barack Obama. He cut an ad that he put out yesterday pointing out that Bernie specifically thought about primarying Barack Obama back in 2012. When we rallied together to defend our president and all the progress he made, they had his back, he had his back and you had his back. But back in Washington, there was one guy with another plan. I think it would be a good idea if uh, President Obama faced some primary opposition. Bernie Sanders was seriously thinking about challenging our first African-American president in a primary. Th- this ad is pointed at black that- voters in South Carolina, and it's an effective ad for that. I mean, Barack Obama is still incredibly popular with black voters across the country, with many voters across the country. And that is particularly true in South Carolina. Meanwhile, the Biden team is also attacking Bernie for the fact that he is a communist. So the Bur- the Biden senior advisor. Alex Cristobal slammed Sanders' comments on Fidel Castro. Because remember, yesterday on, on 60 Minutes, he praised Fidel Castro. He talked about Fidel Castro's literacy programs, which is pure insanity. It's pure insanity. I mean, the fact is that the Cuban literacy rate was 80% before Fidel Castro Castro came in. He promptly murdered tens of thousands of people and imprisoned tens of thousands of more people. And apparently this increased literacy rates in some way. I mean, it's always amusing to watch. Bernie Sanders has never had a... We'll get to this in, in a little while. But Bernie Sanders has literally never... Had a serious bad word to say about any communist regime ever. All he has had are warm words to say. What he'll do is say, "Well, of course I oppose the repression," but and then he'll list off a, a list of wonderful glories of the Soviet Union and Nicaragua and Venezuela and and Cuba and every communist regime he can possibly think of. It's it's truly incredible. So Bernie, Sanders, so so Biden's campaign put out this statement. Make no mistake, Bernie Sanders' comments on Fidel Castro are part of a larger pattern throughout his life to embrace autocratic leaders and governments across the globe. He seems to have found more inspiration in the Soviets, Sandinistas, Chavistas, and Castro than in America. 100% true, 100% true. His admiration for elements of Castro's dictatorship, or at least willingness to look past Cuba's human rights violations, is not just dangerous. It is deeply offensive to many people in Florida, New Jersey, and across the country that have fled political persecution and sought refuge in the United States. Bernie's comments indicate that he either fails to understand the pain and suffering that Fidel Castro, Nicolas Maduro, and Daniel Ortega have caused to so many people, including Americans now living here, or worse, that his ideology blinds him to the realities of life in these countries. We already have one president who praises dictators and their mob-like tendencies. We don't need another one. As president, Joe Biden will stand up on the global stage against tyrants and fight for freedom and democracy. A hundred percent true. Okay, everything that they are saying, this is what I said about the last Democratic debate. What made it so delicious is that everything the Democrats were saying about each other was true. Everything they said about themselves was a lie. Everything they said about each other was true. This is a hundred percent true from the Biden campaign. There is only one problem. Joe Biden is not alive. And it's very difficult to win with an actual dead candidate. Now, in a general campaign, it's not actually the worst strategy, as I kept pointing out. I mean, the fact is that in a general election campaign, if you run a dead guy against Trump, not terrible. I mean, right, you could do worse. You could run a live guy against Trump. That'd be a problem. But in in a primary campaign, you can't really get people excited by wheeling out a corpse on a dolly. And that's basically what they've been doing. I mean, Joe Biden doesn't even know where he is. It's getting sad. I mean, this was Joe Biden yesterday announcing that he was running for Senate. He's running for president, guys. He doesn't even know which office he is running for. I have a simple proposition here. I'm here to ask you for your help. Where I come from, you don't get far unless you ask. My name's Joe Biden. I'm a democratic candidate for the United States Senate. Look me over. If you like what you see, help out. If not, vote for the other by give me a look though, okay? He's not even alive. He's not even alive. So that's the big problem. Now, that doesn't mean that, that he's the only candidate on stage tonight who's going to be attacking Bernie. That obviously is not true. Pete Buttigieg has been trying desperately to wrest the mantle away from Joe Biden and suggest that he is the serious alternative. So Buttigieg came out yesterday and said, we need a real Democrat. We don't need a socialist like Bernie leading the party. A revolution is not going to do it, and extreme proposals and pro- policies are not going to do it. We need a candidate that is unified, that is going to bring Americans, especially all Americans, not just uh, in the Democratic Party, but all Americans together. And frankly, Amen, I we need a real Democrat to be the Democratic nominee. And that's why I believe a Sanders candidacy won't work. So obviously, not Booty Judge. It's LaMel McMorris, who's a spokesperson for Booty Judge. But, but the point holds true. This is this Booty Judge's is problem. This is Booty Judge's sort of angle. The problem, of course, is that Buttigieg is not exactly a non-radical himself, nor does he have any broad based national appeal. He has never really broken into high double digits in the national polling at all. So the big wild card in the debate tonight is going to be Elizabeth Warren. Warren wants to be Sanders's VP, right? That's her backup plan. And it is very obvious that this is her backup plan. Yesterday, she was specifically asked about Bernie Sanders, and she immediately redirected to Michael Bloomberg. And when somebody said, well, wait, hold on, I asked you about Sanders, she started talking about Bloomberg again. She said, I heard your question. She started talking about Bloomberg. So Warren, watch for Warren to go after Bloomberg and clear the decks for Bernie because she's basically hedging her bets. So Warren, who is an effective knife fighter, I mean, we saw that on the stage the other night, she is more likely to go after Biden and Bloomberg than she is to go after Bernie Sanders directly. So that means that Bernie, in all likelihood, continues to have this clear glide path to the nomination. This provides a series of problems for Democrats, like a series of problems. So problem number one is that Bernie's great lie is that he's going to attract this wave of new voters. So on an electoral level, I mean, Republicans should take some comfort in this. Bernie keeps saying over and over and over that he's going to drive youth votes out to magnificent rates. Megan McArdle, who's a columnist for The Washington Post, we had her on the radio show yesterday. She was talking about how she saw a lot of Hispanic voters out for Bernie. She saw young voters out for Bernie. But statistically speaking, Bernie has not actually driven voting rates up in places like Iowa, New Hampshire or Nevada thus far. The New York Times reporting Sidney Ember and Nate Cohen. It is the most politically provocative part of Senator Bernie Sanders' campaign pitch that his progressive movement will bring millions of non-voters into the November election, driving record turnout, especially among disaffected working class Americans and young people. And yet, despite a virtual tie in Iowa, a narrow victory in New Hampshire, and a big triumph in Nevada, the first three nominating contests reveal a fundamental challenge for Sanders' political revolution. He may be winning, but not because of his longstanding pledge to expand the Democratic base. The results so far show that Mr. Sanders has prevailed by broadening his appeal among traditional Democratic voters, not by fundamentally transforming the electorate. In other words, the same people are showing up to vote, More of them are just voting for Sanders. And part of that is this bandwagoning effect that happens in the primaries. Media attention builds on media attention. And this is why whenever you have a candidate who sets up a firewall, see Rudy Giuliani in 2008 in Florida, whenever you have a candidate who sets up a firewall and that firewall is in state number four, it's too late by that point because what you have is a wall. And then on the other end, you have a snowball that starts off rolling down the mountain. And as it starts rolling down the mountain, it starts accreting more and more snow. So it's getting larger and larger. That snowball is media attention. So if you start off in Iowa and it starts rolling down the hill, you're picking up media attention. New Hampshire, more media attention. Nevada, more media attention. South Carolina, more media attention. By the time you get to this wall right here, boom, it just runs right over the wall. And this is what you have seen in these primaries. So people who have ignored the early primaries have done so at their own peril. I'm talking to you, Mike Bloomberg, and I'm talking to you, Joe Biden. And so this is why Bernie has been able to roll over the other Democrats, not because Bernie is bringing in new audiences, but because the additional media attention makes Bernie seem inevitable. The inevitability conversation makes it so that people want to be on the side of a winner. It's just a normal human tendency. If you believe somebody is about to win, you're more likely to jump on their bandwagon. So you've seen this in the Democratic polling. In the Democratic polling, the perception that Bernie Sanders could win a general election has risen dramatically over the past month, over the past month, a month ago. A bare majority of Democrats thought that Sanders was the strongest candidate to face up in a general election. As he started winning primaries, that's now jumping into the 70s. And the reason for that is because people have this bizarre notion and it really isn't, I don't think, a thought-through process. I don't think that it's really a considered opinion. They just have this instinct that if somebody is able to win one race, they're able to win another race, even if the two skills are not transferable. In Iowa, says Nate Cohen, Turnout for the caucuses was lower than expected, up 3% compared with 2016. The increase was concentrated in more well-educated areas where Sanders struggled, according to a New York Times analysis. So in other words, Sanders actually didn't do that great in Iowa. There was no sign of a Sanders voter surge in New Hampshire either, nor on Saturday in Nevada, where the final results indicated that turnout would finish above 2016, but well short of 2008 levels, despite a decade of population growth and a new early voting option that attracted 75,000 voters. The low numbers are all the more striking, says the New York Times, given the huge turnout in the 2018 midterm elections, which was the highest in a century. There's also no evidence across the early states of much greater participation by young people, a typically low turnout group that makes up a core part of Sanders's base and that he has long said he can motivate to get out to the polls. And Sanders has struggled to overcome his long-standing weakness in affluent, well-educated suburbs where Democrats excelled in midterm elections and where many traditionally Republican voters are skeptical about Trump's performance, meaning they could be up for grabs in November. So this means that because the field is fragmented, he could still pull off the nomination. But everybody is just lying when they suggest that he's going to be bringing in swaths of new voters into the Democratic Party. It's not a thing that he is actually doing. So that's a serious problem for him. Another serious problem for Bernie Sanders is this: his campaign is filled with jerks. And this is something that his his people on the Democratic side of the other candidates have been pointing out is that Bernie Sanders' campaign is filled with people who are just jackasses. And this is 100 percent true. Right, The Bernie bros are, in fact, the nastiest people on the Internet. They're really, really awful. They're awful to other Democrats. And that sort of treatment is not going to play well in a general election. It isn't because the Democratic appeal typically is we're nice. Right, That's always the Democratic appeal. We're nicer than the Republicans. The Republicans are mean. They're nasty. They're cruel. Okay, well, Bernie bros are going out there and and attacking people in the most vicious ways, that really cuts against the Democratic branding effort. One story that has come out in the last 24 hours by Scott Bixby over at the Daily Beast uncovered a Bernie staffer who is mocking Elizabeth Warren's looks and Pete Buttigieg's sexuality on a private Twitter account. According to the Daily Beast, during the most recent presidential primary debate in Vegas, Senator Sanders suggested that critiques of some of his most antagonistic online supporters are largely unfounded and unfair, and he proposed that some of the worst offenders might actually be Russian trolls on a mission to sow disunity in the field. But the private Twitter account of a newly promoted campaign staffer indicates that despite his condemnation of online harassment, at least some of the Vermont senator's most toxic support is coming from inside the House. Using the account Permaben, Ben Mora, a regional field director for the Sanders campaign based in Michigan, has attacked other Democrats in the field, as well as their family members, surrogates, journalists and politically active celebrities in deeply personal terms, mocking their physical appearance, gender, sexuality, among other things. He tweeted that Senator Amy Klobuchar looks like her name, quote, pained, chunky and confused. Former South Bend Mayor Pete Buttigieg, quote, is what happens when the therapist botches the conversion. And his husband, Chasen, Moore predicts, will, quote, be busted for running a meth racket in 10 years. I mean, really nice people, really nice people in the Bernie campaign. This doesn't mean everybody who's voting for Bernie is a nasty person. It does mean that everybody who seems to be nasty in this race is a Bernie Sanders supporter. So that's a real problem for Bernie Sanders as well. The biggest problem for Bernie Sanders, of course, is Bernie Sanders. That is that remains the biggest problem for Bernie Sanders, that Bernie does not have Wide swaths of support. People are whistling past the graveyard when they suggest he's going to bring in new audiences, because it turns out, you know what is not supremely popular: being an old bat bleep commie. It turns out that that is really not super popular in the United States. I mean, it is. It is almost an incredible thing. It's almost like a. It's almost like a Philip Roth novel. The fact that Bernie Sanders, a career loser, I mean, truly a career loser, has made it this far in American politics, it is an object lesson to people everywhere that anyone can become president of the United States. Truly anyone, including a man who did not lock down a job until he was 39 years old and was not supporting his own kid financially, even though he was a college graduate because he was too busy making single film reels about Eugene Debs, the socialist. I mean, that that was seriously Bernie Sanders' life. His life is that he was running as a Liberty Union candidate in Vermont and losing every election in the 1970s. And then he decided, you know what? I guess I can't be that much of a commie. Instead, I'm just gonna run as an independent. By the time he held down his first job, he was three years older than I am now. He was three years older than I am now. And people describe him back in those years. They talk about it, the fact that he was living in this rundown apartment that was incredibly dirty. The fact that they weren't sure if he was paying for his power. Like All of this was has been fairly well reported. But it's not just that, listen, everybody experiences tough times in their life. The point is that Bernie Sanders chose to do all of those things. The man was a college graduate. He obviously is not unintelligent. He chose to live. This loser lifestyle because he felt that it was in line with his socialist principles. And then he immediately, upon gaining entrance to office, began hobnobbing with the world's worst human beings. And he continues to do this because Bernie has never changed. Here's the point. Most people have a redemption story where where they started off when they were 15 is not where they end up when they are 77, 78 years old like Bernie. Bernie's exactly the same human being he was at 39 and at 78. And he brags about this. So that means that all that stuff is fair game because at no point did Bernie actually redeem himself. He just happened to be a guy who found a government teat to suck off of for the last 60 years of his life. And we're going to get more into Bernie Sanders and his warmth toward communism momentarily. Because it really is an amazing thing. I mean, it's, in America, anything is possible. We'll get to this in just one second. First, let's talk about how important it is for you to run an efficient business. If you actually want to run a business, you know, not be a career, lifelong loser. You run a business and you open that business, you want to make sure that your data is really up to date, and that you're in control of all that data, that you can examine every aspect of your business, every portion of your business, because data is time, data is money. Well, this is why you need NetSuite, an integrated solution to your business needs. Successful companies know that in order to grow faster, you have to have the right tools. Whether you're doing a million, 10 million, hundreds of millions in revenue, NetSuite by Oracle gives you the tools you need to accelerate your growth. With NetSuite, you get a full picture of your business, finance, inventory, HR, customers, and more. It's everything you need to grow all in one place directly from your phone or computer. NetSuite will give you the visibility and control you need to make the right decisions and grow with confidence, which is why NetSuite customers grow faster than the S&P 500. NetSuite is the world's number one cloud business system, trusted by more than 19,000 companies. It's the last system you will ever need. NetSuite, because business... Grows here again. Knowing your business, there is no substitute for it. If you want to run a successful, efficient business, schedule your free product tour right now and receive your free guide: Seven Key Strategies to Grow Your Profits at netsuite.com/ben. That is netsuite.com/ben. Netsuite.com/ben. N-E-T-S-U-I-T-E.com/ben. Go check it out right now. Okay, so last night, Bernie Sanders was on CNN, and he decided that it would be a wonderful idea to double down on his praise for Fidel Castro. And the the biggest problem for Bernie Sanders in this race is that Bernie Sanders is Bernie Sanders. And the public has been hidden from the fact that Bernie Sanders is Bernie Sanders because the media refused to cover him for years. And when I say they refused to cover him, I don't mean they didn't do reporting. There was some good reporting on him in 2015, 2016. But at no point was he ever asked a tough question about his overt, lifelong support of every communist regime he could possibly find. And nothing has changed about Bernie. Nothing. OK, Bernie is exactly the same. He's like the, the high school principal in Back to the Future. The dude never had hair. He's exactly the same person. OK, so here is Bernie Sanders last night on 60 Minutes. He had said that, sure, sure, the they, they I don't like human rights violations, but they did raise the literacy rights. Here's Bernie defending Cuba and then going on to defend China. Truth is truth. All right. Now, if you want to disagree with me, if somebody wants to say. That and by the way, all of those Congress people that you mentioned just so happen to be supporting other candidates just accidentally, no doubt, coincidentally. But, you know, the truth is the truth. And that's what happened in the first years of the Castro regime. So there he is defending the first years of the Castro regime. You know, some other truths that happened during the first years of the Castro regime, the mass execution of dissidents, the imprisonment of dissidents. Somewhere between 35,000 and 175,000 people were either killed or imprisoned by the Castro regime. People floating off off, off Cuba in cars to the coast of Florida. Okay, th- that is the regime that Bernie Sanders is defending there. And this is not a shock. It, it really is not. I mean, the fact is that this has been Bernie Sanders' lifelong principle. Bernie Sanders' lifelong principle from the time that he was young to the time that he is old is that America is bad and that communist regimes are inherently good. And that their repression is sort of a nasty side effect of the fact that they have to overcome a vicious capitalist system that they are overthrowing. I mean, Bernie has overtly praised the communist revolution in Cuba. He overtly praised it. He said that he back in his 19, back in his 30s, in the 1980s, right when he was my age. Again, I keep pointing this out because when we say in his youth, it makes it sound like when he was 17, when we all make mistakes. No, no, no. He was in his late 30s when he was talking about this stuff. He said that he had great warmth toward the communist revolution in Cuba because it was obviously poor people rising up against rich people. I mean, this this is who Bernie Sanders has been his entire life. Well, CNN is finally reporting on this. So John Avalon did a did a report yesterday about Bernie's history of praising dictators, and he basically only scratched the surface. This is a clip 11. Add to this, Sanders' now infamous honeymoon in Moscow near the end of the Cold War, his praise for the Soviet Union's public transportation and youth programs while somehow never finding time to meet with Nobel Prize-winning Russian dissident Alexander Solzhenitsyn, who lived in Vermont at the time, It may speak to Sanders' general sympathies at the time. Now, I'm not even getting into Sanders' 1970s advocacy for nationalizing most major industries or his since-renounced call to abolish the CIA or his assertion to a Vermont high school students in 1972 that some U.S. action in Vietnam was, quote, almost as bad as what Hitler did. I'm simply pointing out that Sanders' vision of democratic socialism has extended far beyond the Danish-style welfare state, as he likes to claim. Now, this, of course, is 100% true. John Avalon may find himself in a Bernie Sanders re-education camp for having run that particular segment. It's amusing to watch the media finally pick up on the fact that this is who Bernie Sanders is. And this is who he is. I mean, there's video of Bernie in the Soviet Union singing Shirtless in 1988. Okay, that is video that exists. Him singing, this land is your land, this land is my land. The old commie song. In the Soviet Union, on a trip for his honeymoon. It was a business trip slash honeymoon with his wife Jane. In 1988, in the Soviet Union, right before the Soviet Union fell. Here is Bernie. And you can't see this, they're going to swivel over, Jim and there's, have there's the old man. When okay, and, and people sit at the same table at the party, i was Bernie. Unbelievable. That's Bernie in Moscow. Bernie in Moscow, 1988, in the middle of the Soviet Union. Unless you believe that this was just Bernie doing like a goodwill trip. Okay, let's go through some of the things that Bernie has said about communist dictatorships. I mean, last night, by the way, again, he has never wavered on this sort of stuff. Last night, Bernie said, quote, we're very opposed to the authoritarian nature of Cuba. But you know, it's unfair to simply say everything is bad. When Fidel Castro came into office, you know what he did? He had a massive literacy program. Is that a bad thing, even though Fidel Castro did it? Yeah, when Mussolini, quote-unquote, came into office, the trains ran on time. And when Hitler came into office, he built the Autobahn. Like, you know what's really not difficult? Finding things that dictators have done that are not horrible. Like, Hitler had a dog also. But that really isn't the headline. The headline of the Hitler regime was not, had a dog, built the Autobahn. And the headline of the Cuban regime is not, raise literacy rates from 80% to 100%. You know where we've actually been able to raise literacy rates really well without, you know, sliding into monstrous dictatorship, most of the West. We've actually been able to do that fairly well, as it turns out. It turns out these two things have nothing to do with each other. So praising the Cubans for their literacy programs is really ridiculous. But of course, Sanders hasn't merely praised Castro's literacy programs. Okay, back in the 1980s, Sanders explained that he was, quote, this is, this is a direct quote, physically nauseated by John F. Kennedy's, quote, hatred for the Cuban revolution. Right? He said that when he was watching the Nixon-Kennedy debates, because he's old enough to have been 90 when those happened, Bernie Sanders said that he was physically nauseated by John F. Kennedy's opposition to the Cuban Revolution of 1959. And then in 1989, Sanders visited Cuba and he came back and he said, I did not see a hungry child. I did not see only homeless people. Yeah, no bleep, you didn't see a hungry child or any homeless people, because you know what communist regimes do when you show up. They hide all of the hungry children and the homeless people. That's what they do. Also, everyone is poor and is driving a 1955 Chevy if they have a car at all. And it's 1989. That's a country frozen in time. I mean, I have friends who have been there. It's a country that is frozen in time. And also, I mean, again, this is why it's so dishonest for the media to suggest that Bernie Sanders is just expressing love for Castro's literacy programs. He said in 1989, quote, the Cuban people had, quote, an almost religious affection for Fidel Castro, an almost religious affection for for Fidel Castro. You you know why that might be? It's because if you don't, you go to jail and you stay there forever and die there. That tends to breed a sort of religious affection. Bernie Sanders is exactly the sort of fellow who would look at North Korea and be like, look at how all the people here, they love Kim Jong-un. They love him. It's amazing. Where are all the people who hate them? I don't see them on the streets. They seem fairly happy. Right, he shoots all of them the who don't, right? But But again, it's not just, it is not just Cuba. He has yet to find a communist regime that he does not support on a moral level. As opposed to the United States, by the way. Like Bernie believes the United States is the root of all evil. Last night, Bernie said, in some ways, we are not a great country, right? He'll talk about how, in some ways, Cuba is a great country. He'll talk about, in some ways, the Soviets are great. In some ways, the United States is not great. Bernie has, in the past, compared American, American soldiers' service in Vietnam to the Nazis. I mean, this is who Bernie Sanders is. He is Howard Zinn unvarnished. Bernie Sanders is Noam Chomsky. And you guys are treating him like he's a mainstream Democratic candidate. It's unreal that only now, a week away from Bernie wrapping up the nomination, is anybody picking up on this stuff? Here's Bernie on 60 Minutes the other night talking about how America isn't a great country. Is America great? In many ways, we are. In some ways, very significant ways, we're not. We're not great when half of our people today are living paycheck to paycheck. When 500,000 people tonight are going to be sleeping out on the streets, So we're not great in any of that. The only way we would be great is if we solved all those problems. You know who doesn't have any homeless people? Cuba. I mean, notice the metric that he is using for greatness. The metric he is using for greatness is, quote unquote, economic equality. He's not using as a metric for greatness, freedom. He's not using as a metric for for greatness, prosperity. He's not using as a metric for greatness, the, the ability of the United States to free people around the world. He's not using any of that as a metric for greatness. What he uses as a metric for greatness is a communist Marxist metric of greatness, which is equality. Are we great when half of our people are poor and half of our people are rich? First of all, it doesn't even point out that the people who are poor in the United States by global standards are not poor. But Bernie, this is Bernie Sanders all over. Hey, back to his backing of communist regimes in just a moment, because the list goes on and on and on and on. It's, this is, the, the man is a Marxist. He is a Leninist. OK, the, the fact that, that Bernie Sanders has been able to masquerade as like an FDR style Democrat when he is, in fact, a devotee of Leninism is insane. And the fact that the media are only picking up on it now and the other candidates are picking up on it now is pretty amazing as well. We're gonna get to more of this in just one second. First gang, I gotta tell you, Daily Wire membership is the only way you should be viewing our content. You're missing all our best features if you are not. Right now, use promo code SHAPIRO. You get 10% off any member plan you choose. What makes membership so great? Well... Our members get articles ad-free, access to all of our live broadcasts and show library, the full three hours of the Ben Shapiro show, select bonus content, access to the mailbag, and more. Plus, our new all-access tier gets you into an exclusive live online Q&A discussions with me, Andrew Claven, Matt Walsh, Michael Moles, plus Daily Wire writers and special guests. And don't forget, you also get the greatest of all beverage vessels, of course, the leftist tier is Tumblr. Yes, you get all of that plus 10% off when you use promo code to Shapiro. Stop depriving yourself. Come join the fun. By the way, next Tuesday, March 3rd, Join me, God King Jeremy Boring, Andrew Clavin, Michael Moles, on Daily Wire backstage. We will watch the results from Super Tuesday roll in, and we'll see if socialist Bernie Sanders wraps this sucker up early. So make sure that you tune in for that. You're listening to the largest, fastest growing conservative podcast and radio show in the nation. Okay, so back to Bernie's lifelong support of communist regimes. Again, there's not a single communist regime that Bernie has not supported at some level. So Bernie said about China last night, he said, China is an authoritarian country, but can anyone deny? I mean, the facts are clear that they have taken more people out of extreme poverty than any country in history. Now, first of all, on just a very basic root level, this is untrue. The reason it's untrue is because that is like suggesting it it truly, let me explain why and then I will try to find an analogy for it. China has brought people out of poverty by embracing free market principles that run directly counter to its communism. So China embraced the idea of free markets, free trade, right? Trade with other countries. They embraced the idea of a profit margin. They embraced the idea of a certain amount of private property ownership that would allow growth and innovation. What they've been involved in is what you would really call corporatism as opposed to a communist nationalized ownership of all means of production. This is something that China did during the 1990s when it was rising out of poverty that had nothing to do with Chinese communism. So Bernie suggesting that China has raised people out of poverty when it was really the United States and Europe and the free market system that raised people out of poverty. It's it's sort of like when when Bernie suggests that the United States is responsible for income inequality without recognizing we're responsible for prosperity. Like the what is responsible for the great healthcare system of the West is capitalism. It is not in fact socialism. Right. It is the innovation. It turns out that everybody had equal healthcare back in 1732 as well. It's just really blue. It was quite terrible because nobody had anything that was worthwhile scientifically. Right? This is one of the things that Bernie likes to neglect about the Danish, the Danish medical system. Everybody is relying on America to provide all of the medical patents. Over half of medical patents happen here in the United States because we do have a free market system. But this is how Bernie thinks. Right? So Bernie looks at China and then he's like, "What can I find the benefits in China? After all, they're very equal. They're a communist, and I like communism." Then there's the communist Nicaraguan regime of Daniel Ortega, which murdered thousands of people. Sanders celebrated the Sandinista revolution back in the 1980s. He even attended a rally at which protesters chanted "Yankees will die." Unclear whether he was aware of that at the time. He visited Nicaragua while he was president, while he was uh, while he was mayor of Burlington, and then he returned to tut tut Ortega's human rights abuses. He actually, when when he was, when somebody wrote a letter to him saying, you know, you seem to be taking the Ortega abuses rather non-seriously, he responded. By saying, well, you don't understand the complexities of the situation. Here in the United States, Abraham Lincoln suspended habeas corpus. Okay, comparing Daniel Ortega, the communist oppressor, to Abraham Lincoln, the great liberator, is pretty disgusting. It's no wonder that this week Daniel Ortega, when asked by the execrable Max Blumenthal, basically endorsed Bernie Sanders for president. That's a thing that actually happened this week as well. How about the Venezuelan regime? Last year, Bernie Sanders refused to call socialist dictator Nicolas Maduro a dictator. He was asked directly about it on CNN, and he said that he, he sort of demurred. And then when asked if Juan Guaido, who is the opposition leader, is the legitimate leader of Venezuela, he said no. Okay, so Bernie has yet to, to actually find a communist regime for which he does not have some more for years, by the way. The Sanders Senate website carried an editorial from a paper called The Valley News that favorably compared the regime of Hugo Chavez and poverty reduction with the poverty record of the United States. And then, of course, there is Sanders' long record of propagandizing on behalf of the Soviet Union. It's not just that Sanders visited the Soviet Union and went shirtless to sing this land is your land in Moscow in 1988. He then returned and declared that Moscow had, quote, the most effective mass transit system that I've ever seen. He then celebrated because, again, this is exactly what communists do. What communists do is they say, well, sure, we may have you know killed all the kulaks, but at least you know that the literacy rates are high. I mean, that, you can't deny that. You can't deny the literacy is great. You can't deny that the busing in Moscow is unbelievable. Sure, over Lubyanka, they're still shooting people in the basement, but the busing is tremendous. Have you seen the subways? Unbelievable. And so Bernie Sanders celebrated that the Soviet... I mean, this is such a telling quote. He celebrated that the Soviets were, quote, moving forward into some of the early visions of the revolution, what the revolution was about in 1917. So Bernie Sanders is just a fan of the communist revolution of 1917. I mean, he openly said it in 1989. This is not somebody who's hiding the ball, right? He said in 1989 that the Soviets were finally moving into the vision of 1917, which ended with 80 years or 70 years of tremendous evil, right? The Russian Revolution was one of the great tragedies of human history, but Bernie was a big backer. He is not a Denmark, Norway-style social Democrat. That is not what he is. And anybody who pretends he is, is lying to you. And so it's kind of fun to watch as the media discover all of this. It's kind of fun to watch all of this. For example, so Jake Tapper yesterday started reporting on the fact that Bernie Sanders back in the 1970s was writing weird, weird, bizarre fiction pieces in which he talked about women wanting to be raped. Uh, I'd like to see Elizabeth Warren bring this up to Sanders, right? She has plenty of words for Michael Bloomberg about the stuff he has said to women. But Bernie Sanders writing about how women enjoy being raped and have fantasies about it back in the 1970s. Seriously, this is something Bernie Sanders wrote because the guy's a nut. He's an actual nutcase. Okay, Bernie Sanders is a is a loser kicked out of a commune when he was in his when he was in his 30s in Burlington, didn't hold a job and wrote bad fiction about how women like to be raped. And this guy is who the Democrats are picking. Here's Jake Tapper discovering this. There was this uh, essay he wrote uh, when he was 30 years old in 1971. It's an old essay, but he writes a man goes home and and masturbates his typical fantasy, a woman on her knees, a woman tied up, a woman abused. A woman enjoys intercourse with her man as she fantasizes about being raped by three men simultaneously. It goes on to talk about gender roles. It is very strange. And obviously there is a lot to object to in this. Yeah, yeah. So could someone ask him about that on stage? Like anybody, anybody? That's been around. I, I quoted this in 2016 when he was running, guys. This is not new. It's been around since the 1970s. That that weirdo is who you guys are going to nominate. You are literally about to nominate the old commie who hangs out at the library and creepily stares at the computers because he doesn't have a job, but he has a guitar and he loves this land is your land. That's who you guys are about to nominate. It's unbelievable. And CNN finally noticed yesterday also. It's amazing how CNN, which is a mainstream democratic outlet, how Yesterday, they suddenly realized, hey, wait a second. Bernie hangs out with a lot of anti-Semites. Isn't that kind of weird? Like Bernie keeps saying, he keeps hanging out with like Linda Sarsour and Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib. Yes, I'm some sup- you noticed. Congratulations. Welcome to the party, pal. Here's CNN recognizing that Bernie Sanders may be a little bit on the anti-Semitic side. Like it doesn't matter that the man was born Jewish. Karl Marx was born Jewish too. Doesn't matter. That doesn't matter. Dude hangs out with anti-Semites nonstop and CNN finally is like, oh, wait, that, that's that's weird, isn't it? Like. It's strange. You're CNN catching on. Sanders has faced criticism from supporters of Israel on both sides of the aisle for embracing campaign surrogates with more extreme anti-Israel views than the candidate they're backing. Congresswomen Ilhan Omar and Rashida Tlaib, the first Palestinian-American woman to serve in Congress, have both thrown their support behind Sanders. Sanders has also faced backlash for surrogates such as Palestinian-American activist Linda Sarsour and Amar Zar, a Palestinian-American law professor and comedian. Okay, yeah. And then they should actually quote those people, a majority of whom have talked about the destruction of the state of Israel openly. So fun to watch the media finally fact checking Bernie in real time. By the way, even Bernie's mainstream campaign, even his Medicare for all campaign is built on lies. So yesterday, Pramila Jayapal, the congresswoman, she is a Bernie supporter. I believe she's from Washington state. And she was touting Bernie and she starts telling lies about. What Americans believe about their own medical care. One of the things that's really funny about Medicare for All is if you poll Americans on Medicare for All, they don't know what it means. They actually just think that they are giving more money to Medicaid or that they are giving more money to Medicare as like a public option for people who fall out of their insurance. Most Americans don't understand that Bernie Sanders' plan literally ends the health insurance industry in the United States and you lose your health insurance plan. Most Americans don't get that 160 million health plans go away. But here is Pramila Jayapal trying to explain that Americans don't actually like their health insurance. Which is weird because by every poll, the vast majority of Americans with private health insurance are very fond of their health insurance, as it turns out. What do you say to people who don't yeah. want to give up their their private insurance plans? Well, I would just say, first of all, that nobody likes their private insurance plan. What they like is their doctor. And if you look at all the polling, when people are asked if they want to give up their private insurance, the support goes down a little. If you take the next question, which is if you could keep your doctor, but you were going to have to give up your private insurance plan, the support goes up even higher, including among independents and Republicans. Okay, but what you're saying is insane because if you take away their private insurance, they can't have the same doctor. Not with the same reimbursement rates. Not unless you're going to cram something down or nationalize the industry itself. I mean, of course, this is all lies. But Bernie Sanders' entire campaign is built on the lie that all he wants is tweaks around the edges of the system, meanwhile, spending his entire career complaining that the system itself has to be brought down from within. So it's it's fun to watch people realize this when it's a little bit too late. A little bit too late there. And meanwhile, President Trump is facing the black swan threat of coronavirus, So coronavirus tanked the stock market to the tune of about a thousand points yesterday. The Dow Jones seems to have stabilized a little bit today, even though the bond yields continue to be incredibly low, which means the demand for bond is high, it means that people are, are very wary of where the economy is going right now. President Trump's aides, according to Politico, face an increasingly urgent threat Monday with potentially monumental implications, a global outbreak knocking down the U.S. economy and walloping markets in an election year all against accusations about whether the Trump administration had mismanaged and underfunded a critical response with American lives on the line. There really aren't a lot of cases in the United States, so it's hard to see exactly how the United States has dramatically mismanaged this thing at this point. Stephen Moore, an informal economic advisor to the Trump team, says, the view in the White House is that this is one of those classic black swan events. All we can do is control the health issues in the United States. The coronavirus has infected more than 78,000 people abroad, although only 53 people in the United States are confirmed to have contracted the virus it's almost entirely overseas. It is largely in countries that do not have advanced medical systems. So Iran is having serious problems with coronavirus right now. Apparently, the deputy health minister over there has coronavirus at this point, and there's threat that, that is going to cross borders in the Middle East and start infecting a lot of people. There's a lot of talk about China being adjacent to India, that there might be an outbreak in India, which would, of course, be a disaster because India is highly populous. Of course, China is on the hot seat again as well. They should be because they simply did not handle this in an appropriate way. They they banned information. They were they were taking people who were talking about this thing and imprisoning them. People were being disappeared. You know, all, all of this is, is scary. I mean, coronavirus is scary. What it's mostly scary to in terms of sort of global health, because we don't know the death rates yet, is really the economy because supply lines are being disrupted. Tyler Cowan has a piece over at Business Insider today about the disruption of global supply lines. One of the big problems is what happens if it shuts down Factories in China, right? The, the economy is so intertwined at this point that if you shut down a factory in China, it has serious impacts on the American economy. And that's what you are seeing. You're seeing global supply lines being being cut. You're starting to see the economy feel the real effect of all of this. Democrats, meanwhile, are trying to militarize this sort of thing. They're trying to weaponize it, as, as they are fond of saying, and suggest that this is all Trump's fault in the United States. Officials like Acting Chief of Staff Mick Mulvaney and Domestic Policy Chief Joe Grogan have turned their fire on HHS Secretary Alex Azar, who's leading the coronavirus response, arguing that Azar has poorly coordinated strategy, failed to escalate the potential risks to Trump, and pushed for a multi-billion dollar emergency funding request they initially viewed as extreme. The Trump administration announced a request for $2.5 billion in emergency coronavirus cash, which would also shift at least $535 million in previously uncommitted funds. Funding the response had apparently been a major sticking point between the White House and Azar, who lobbied to request additional funds from Congress before he makes four separate hearings on the Hill this week. The package is expected to face resistance from Democrats who have warned the Trump administration against shifting money away from existing commitments, which is a weird look. I mean, it's weird for the Democrats to be obstructing funding for the coronavirus response at this point, the White House is saying that they are united on this thing. But the the biggest problem here is, of course, nobody knows anything about coronavirus. That is the biggest problem here. We don't have a vaccine. We don't know the death rate. We don't know the infection rate. China has been hiding all this stuff. It obviously moves fairly quickly. I mean, obviously infects pretty easily. That sort of uncertainty has significant ramifications for not only health, but for economics. Certainty and predictability is the lifeblood of successful world economies. When there's a lot of uncertainty, that leads to decoupling in global supply lines and global chains of supply. It's going to hurt China more than it hurts us, but that doesn't really matter for President Trump's purposes. The bottom line is if the economy tanks, he's got a real problem on his hands for reelection in 2020. Okay, time for a quick thing I like, and then we'll get to some things that I hate. So things that I like, again, big Ray Bradbury fan. Read another Ray Bradbury book over the weekend. Worth reading, A Sound of Thunder. Uh, it is sad to me that that short stories have fallen out of fashion. This one is a little bit less creepy than the one that I recommended uh, just a couple of weeks ago. This one is more sci-fi stories. And Ray Bradbury's sci-fi is really terrific. Really an, an underrated, uh, still an underrated writer because everybody remembers Fahrenheit 451, but few people remember his short stories, many of which are pretty terrific. A uh, Sound of Thunder. Uh, it, it was it was in, it was in, this, uh, in this collection. A sound, uh, I believe A Sound of Thunder is the story that discusses the butterfly effect. I mean, the basic premise is that somebody goes back in time, steps on a butterfly, and it has these dramatic ramifications across time showing the ripples across time. Bradbury is terrific. The collection is really a lot of fun. You can go check it out. A Sound of Thunder by Ray Bradbury. Okay, time for a quick thing that I hate. Okay, so thing number one that I that I really hate. So Chris Matthews came out and apologized to Bernie Sanders yesterday. We live in such a dumb society. I'm sorry. Did anyone truly think that Chris Matthews was being anti-Semitic when he talked about, historically speaking, in 1940, people didn't realize that the war had already been lost on the continent in 1940 before most people knew it. Like, did anyone really think that, that, that Matthews was comparing Bernie to Nazis? Did anyone really think? Of course, nobody thought that. Everybody's just incredibly dishonest. And one of the things that people like to do with anti-Semitism is what I would call the flattening effect, which is every implication of anti-Semitism is treated as exactly equal, even when it's fairly obvious that there are tremendous gradations. That Bernie Sanders saying that he will not attend APAC because APAC is racist is significantly worse for Jews and significantly more anti-Semitic than Chris Matthews talking about how in 1940 an Amer- a, a British general said that the continent had been overrun. Right? That, that, these are not comparable. They're not comparable. Nonetheless, Chris Matthews got on the air last night, come to the show, come on air, a little disappointed with himself, talking about how Bernie. I'm, I'm just going to apologize to Bernie. I, I need to do better. Uh, don't don't apologize to Bernie, dude. I mean seriously, it's just ridiculous. I was wrong to refer to an event from the last days, or actually the first days of World War II. Senator Sanders, I'm sorry for comparing anything from that tragic era in which so many suffered, especially the Jewish people, to an electoral result in which you were the well-deserved winner. This is going to be a hard-fought, heated campaign of ideas. In the days and weeks and months ahead, I will strive to do a better job myself of elevating the political discussion. Just ridiculous. I'm sorry. You remember how many members of the media have apologized for their Trump is a Nazi sort of commentary from 2016? Any? You were of any who have done that sort of thing? Of course not. Of course not. It, it just shows the double standard in the media when it comes to this sort of stuff. Meanwhile, Jim Acosta being celebrated overseas. So he was overseas with President Trump, and President Trump was speaking in India, and for some reason he calls on Acosta. And that's your first mistake, Mr. President. Never call on Jim Acosta. And ladies, find you somebody who loves you like Jim Acosta loves Jim Acosta. I mean, that is a dude who loves him some Jim Acosta. So, Trump calls on Jim Acosta. Acosta starts to yell at Trump. Trump starts to yell at Acosta and it goes predictably where you would think it would. And then Jim Acosta tries to sell a few books. I haven't been given help from any country. And if you see what CNN, your wonderful network said, uh, I guess they apologized in a way for didn't they apologize for the fact that they said certain things that weren't true? Tell me, what was their apology yesterday? What did they say? Mr. President, I think our record on delivering the truth is a lot better than yours sometimes. You don't mind me saying. Let me tell you about your record. Your record is so bad, you ought to be ashamed of yourself. Okay, and and the media were celebrating this. Jim Acosta standing up to the president. Uh, We deliver truth a lot more often than you do, Mr. President. He's a politician. You're a media outlet. The fact that you are, you know, talking back to the president. I, I do love that the media, they love themselves so much. And they don't understand why their legitimacy... It plummets every time they do this. That Instead of just sort of allowing Trump to do what he's going to do and then pointing out that Trump is wrong about something, that fighting with the president makes them look like they are participants in the drama rather than observers and coverers of the drama. This is the great rap that I've had on CNN for years. I mean, I said this to Don Lemon on CNN. I said, like, if you want people to take you more seriously, you really do need to make it clear that you are standing for the American people and not just for the people at CNN. It looks like in these debates with Trump that it's Trump versus the media. And that's exactly the battle that Trump wants. And it's the battle the media want to. It's not the media standing there on behalf of the American people. It's Jim Acosta standing there on behalf of Jim Acosta or Jim Acosta standing there on behalf of the CNN higher-ups and and commenting on the action as a participant. Well, that's not what the media was ever supposed to be. I mean, if if the idea is that you're an objective member of the media and objectivity is your business, then shouldn't you be objective rather than being there doing a presidential debate with, with President Trump? It just makes you look bad. Now, listen, I understand the tendency. I get it. I do. But I just... I think that the the sort of weird celebration of Jim Acosta for this sort of stuff, it doesn't it doesn't do anything useful for CNN. It doesn't do anything useful for the political debate. Okay, before I leave, I just have to mention one quick thing that I like. I mentioned it on the radio show yesterday, but I would be remiss if my podcast audience were not informed of it. Cenk Iger uh, apparently is very, very upset at his own staff for considering unionizing. And um, that's pretty great because Cenk is a Bernie Sanders guy and Chenk is one of these people who believes that American industry has been under unionized and so apparently there was a meeting on February 12th because his staff was thinking of unionizing at which Chenk went wild and started throwing papers on the ground Chenk for people who don't know The Young Turks is a wild left network over on YouTube. and so Chenk said, if you unionize, you're gonna hurt our profit margins you're going to destroy the business And um, I have one response which is um, let me just let me get it together in my head for a second and then <laughs> 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 Yes. Yes. Because the fact that Chank is now realizing, hey, wait a second, unionization has cost for my business. Wait a second. My business could suffer if my employees treat me as an as an adversarial party as opposed to the person signing their paychecks. Wait, wait a second. Wait, hold up. Is my philosophy? wrong? No, my philosophy isn't wrong. My philosophy is right. It's just everybody's mean to me. It is fun. I I root for reality. And the fact that reality came along and and clocked Chank directly across the grill um, in figurative terms, is is fairly delicious. So I am enjoying that. And I'm not sure I'll ever stop in- enjoying that, actually. It's, pre- it's pretty wonderful. All righty, we'll be back here later today with two additional hours of content. Plus, tonight is the last chance for the Democrats to stop Bernie Sanders. We'll see if they level their fire at him. We'll be back here tomorrow to recap all of it. I'm Ben Shapiro. This is The Ben Shapiro Show. <laughs> The Ben Shapiro Show is produced by Colton Haas, directed by Mike Joyner, executive producer Jeremy Boring, supervising producer Mathis Glover and Robert Sterling, assistant director Pavel Wydowski, technical producer Austin Stevens, playback and media operated by Nick Sheehan, associate producer Katie Swinnerton, edited by Adam Saievitz. Audio is mixed by Mike Coromina. Hair and makeup is by Nika Geneva. The Ben Shapiro Show is a Daily Wire production. Copyright Daily Wire 2020. Coronavirus is spreading and economies all over the world are grinding to a halt. We will examine whether we're all going to die before we go broke. Then, new polling shows a big boost to Bernie's chances of winning the Democratic nomination. Freshman Representative Ilhan Omar admits she's un-American. And Harvey Weinstein is headed for the clink. Check it out on The Michael Knowles Show. We'll get to more on this in just one second. First,